Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. How you guys doing today? You good? Hey, it's a Sunday before Thanksgiving. You guys thankful? You feeling thankful yet? No? You gotta wait till the turkey shows up maybe on the table and then you feel that that's that's when it hits me too but hey so we are uh, obviously starting uh, advent this morning a week early than we normally would but we feel like that's a good thing uh we had i know personally at the georgievich house the christmas trees went up yesterday inside the house and so that totally changes the environment inside the house like our kids slept in the cou- in on the couch in the family room last night i believe so that they could be right next to the christmas tree because they've been so excited to see the christmas tree go up so hopefully you're feeling that christmas joy a little bit already um i think you know as bad as i just want to say merry christmas to everybody i don't think we're ready for that yet right we'll work our way into that maybe that'll be next sunday but we are certainly on the cusp of what we call the holiday season as we get into thanksgiving and christmas and new year and uh, things are going to be different this year probably for a lot of us. But we're moving forward in a little bit of a different way as well here at North as we start Advent uh, this morning. And we're really excited about this series that we're going to get to start today. Uh, it's called Remember, and it is our Advent series. If you're not familiar with Advent, that's okay. We're actually going to spend an entire Sunday this morning talking about what Advent is, why it is that we go through Advent, and exactly how we're going to do it this year, what this idea of remember has to do with us engaging in the Advent season. But the first thing you need to know about Advent is that the word Advent itself means arrival or coming. And so during the Advent season, what we celebrate is the first arrival, the first coming of Jesus, that we recognize that this is the meaning of Christmas. We are celebrating the fact that Jesus came to us as God in the flesh, as the Son of God. And it prepares us as we move through the Advent weeks, the four weeks, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, those things prepare us for the celebration of Christmas as, as Adam said in his prayer, we wait, we anticipate what that celebration means and what it's all about. And I think there are a lot of great things, of course, that come with the Christmas season, things like having an opportunity to spend time with family and friends, things like parties and, and Christmas decorations and giving gifts and all those things. But of course, in the end, Christmas is ultimately about Jesus, and it's the greatest piece of what Christmas can mean. And so speaking of Christmas, though, I think it's probably appropriate for us to address a little bit of what might be the elephant in the room this year as it comes to Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is just this, is that Christmas is going to be different, I think, for a lot of us. Uh, because of COVID, because of the restrictions, because of travel restrictions and all those kinds of things, you already may be feeling uh, the heartache over not being able to be with the amount of people and the friends and family that you would like to be with this Thanksgiving. Maybe that's changed your plans already this week. Maybe as you look forward to Christmas, you realize that if you have relatives that are far away, you may not get a chance to see them this year. And so that's caused you a little bit of heartache and anticipation about what, is, what might happen over the next month or so. And I think that in part is why we are focusing on remembering this Advent season, because this year has been so strange, and because of what we're going to be facing even the next two months, and because we don't even know what it's going to look like as the calendar turns to 2021, remembering is so critically important. And in a lot of ways, I think this is kind of like escapism, but it's okay. I don't really like escapism necessarily, because I think in a lot of ways our, script, our, our faith is supposed to be lived out in the world that we live in in front of us, in the real world. But at times, escapism is necessary. Sometimes we just kind of get out of the environment we're in at times, and remembering helps us to do that, especially as we think about what it means to remember who God is and what God has done. 
And I don't know if you've uh, realized this before, but it can be difficult sometimes for us to remember. I think in a lot of ways, and I, I realize this especially as I get even a little older, uh, is that it's a lot easier to forget things than it is to remember things. Have you noticed that before? And our, and our short attention spans, by the way, don't help us in this. Uh, in fact, back in 2000, Microsoft um, did a study on their consumers, and what they found is that the average person has a, an attention span of about 12 seconds long. Now, that may seem super short, except they did another study more recently, and they found that the average person now has an attention span of about eight seconds. It's gone from 12 seconds to eight seconds, and certainly that has a lot to do with cell phones and smartphones and Facebook and notifications and social media and all those kinds of things. It's actually shortened our attention span. To give you a little bit of an idea, a goldfish has an attention span of about nine seconds. So our attention span, on average, is less than what a goldfish's attention span is, if that gives you kind of any idea. And so when we remember, it, it, it has a lot to do with our attention spans, and our attention spans don't help us out with this very much. And I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but when we remember, we typically remember mostly bad things. In, in other words, it's, it's a lot easier to remember the bad things than it is the good things. I don't know if you've noticed this before as well. We were talking about this this past week in our staff meeting. Julie Borlock was doing our staff devotional, and she was making the point that it is so easy, I think, especially this year, to remember all the bad things. And so she made us go through and remember as many good things as we could. And I got to tell you, it was really tough to do at first because all the bad things just came rushing to my mind as I thought about the past six to eight months because there's certainly a lot. But I think just in general, it's a lot easier for us to remember the mistakes, the bad stuff, the pain, the failures, the missteps. And I think this also goes for how we think about God. That we tend to forget who God is, what God has done, and what God has promised. And maybe you found yourself in that position, especially this year, as it's been so difficult and chaotic to move our way through the difficulty that we have and the resistance that we have. You know, this hit me a couple of months ago during one of my personal devotional times. I was, uh, and this is actually what gave birth to the idea of this series, Remember. I was in 2 Peter at the time, and I was reading, and it struck me how much Peter was telling this group of Christians who were suffering intense persecution to remember. Over and over again, he uses this phrase to remember. He commands them and tells them to remember. Now, if you don't know anything about First and 2 Peter, Peter wrote these letters specifically to the first century church, aimed specifically for those Christians who were experiencing persecution under the Roman Empire. So these were Christians who, just by the fact they were following Jesus, were experiencing severe persecution, imprisonment, and maybe even the threat of death if they identified as Christians and if they were found out by the Roman Empire to be Christians. They knew people who were friends of theirs, family members, people they went to church with that had been arrested and that were being executed. And in the midst of that, Peter writes these letters to these, to these Christians in the first century to encourage them. And one thing that he reminds them over and over again is to remember. Now, here's something. When Peter writes these words, they aren't empty words. In fact, as we're going to read right here in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, we see that Peter actually knows that the Lord has told him that he is going to die soon for his faith. He's going to become a martyr for his faith. So as Peter is writing these words even, he knows that these are some of his parting words to the church that is being persecuted just like he is being persecuted. And listen to what he writes to them. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as I am in the body, uh, as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder 
since I know that, that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now notice what Peter says. He says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. That phrase stir up means in this case to stir up their faith, to strengthen them by encouraging them. And even it has this picture of awakening them in their faith. Reminds me of kind of, a, of a, that old word revival. He's saying that these, re, these reminders, this way of remembering will stir up your faith in the face of what you are facing. You can imagine what this early Christian community was going through. If you think 2020 was tough, think about what it was like to go through what these Christians were experiencing. The threat of persecution daily, knowing that many of their friends and family members have been dragged off by Roman authorities. They don't know if they're ever going to see them again. In some cases, they had been ex executed. And Peter says, the key is remember. And I think this is important, though, for us to hear today, too. You know, the lockdowns this year have had an effect on us. I think anybody who has had to be locked down in their homes for a long period of time, it's natural for this to affect you emotionally and spiritually. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. I mean, physically I've put a little bit more weight on, but that's, that's another subject. But spiritually and emotionally, right, the lockdowns do affect us. We've seen this happen uh, with, with the, the increasing rates of domestic abuse, with the increasing rates of depression, with the increasing rates of suicide. And I think as we think about all of this, what this is supposed to do, what remembering does for us is it stirs us up. It awakens our spirits, especially as we think about what we're to remember about what God has done and who God is. In 2 Peter chapter 3, if we're asking what is it that Peter is saying, that this way of reminder, what is he reminding the Christians of? When we go to 2 Peter chapter 3, we begin to see in verse 1 he says this, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. There is that phrase again, and here, and here it is. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Right, there's that phrase again, stirring you up by way of reminder. And here is what he's reminding them of. In this case, it's a reminder of two things. The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. You know what he's describing there? He's describing Scripture. He's describing the Old Testament, right? The predictions of the holy prophets. And then he's describing what would become the New Testament, the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, the writings of the apostles, right? Paul, Peter, and John, and others. And so he's saying essentially that it is God's word that reminds us of who God is, what he has done, what he has promised, and who we are as a result. And I think it's during Advent when we remember the greatest thing that God has done. The greatest promise that God kept when God came to us in the flesh. When God came to us, became a man, lived and walked among us, and then died and rose again to set us free and to bring us to himself. And think about that. As Christians during Christmas, we celebrate the greatest event that has ever happened in human history. God coming to us in the flesh. And I want to remind us also, now think about how easy it is to forget that. To make the Christmas season about everything except that sometimes. I mean, one thing that we say around Christmas is, before Christmas we're like, I can't believe Christmas is already here. And then after Christmas we're like, gosh, Christmas went by so fast. And why is that? Because we get so busy and distracted that it seems like an entire blur and we get to the end of it and we're like, 
Did that just happen? What, what, how did that month fly by so quickly? And I will say this, if there is one blessing in what might happen this year is that there might be less distractions, probably less parties, less gatherings, those kinds of things, less Christmas shopping out in the malls and those kinds of things, which might allow us to actually focus a little bit more on remembering what Advent is all about. If there's one blessing in this, I think it might be that. And look, it's so easy for us to make it about these other things. These things are good. I mean, family gatherings, gifts, holiday cheer, decorations, all those things. The only thing I would say that is really not good about this time is those Hallmark Christmas movies that come on. (laughs) And yes, I talk about that every year, and I will continue to talk about that until they go away. I'm a man on a mission. These things are awful. But look, God knows that we are prone to forget. But out of relationship, God tells his people who he is. And through scripture, he reminds us of what he has done, and he reminds us of who we are. And God does this a lot, not just in the New Testament. He actually has done this all throughout scripture with his people. He does it back in the Old Testament. If you look in the Old Testament, God would often tell the patriarchs and people that he encountered to build an altar when he would meet them. He would meet them and he would tell them to build these altars at these places where he either made a covenant with them or something amazing happened where he met with them and and, and somehow changed their life or changed the course of history. And God would say this was an important moment. This was an important place. So build an altar to remember what has happened here, to remember me and to remember what is done. This is what was done. This is an example of what one of those altars might have looked like. But we often call, these are often referred to as altars of remembrance. Because every time that God tells his people to build an altar in the Old Testament, he tells them to remember something specifically. And then he tells them to build it out of stone, right? Because this this, uh, remembering is not just for you, it's not just for your generation, but this was meant to last for generations. So that every generation, when they asked, why is that altar there? That they'd be able to tell the story of what God has done. And by doing that, they would remember what God has done and who he is. The first altar in the Bible is actually built by Noah. After God saved Noah and his family from the flood, the flood dissipates, the waters go down, and then they land on dry land, and the first thing Noah does is he builds an altar. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Abraham. Abraham built at least two altars. One he built in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, right after God makes his covenant with Abraham, and he promises Abraham, your people, your descendants are going to be my people, and you're going to have a land where they're going to live, and they will be my people in that land. God makes this covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, to your offspring I will give this land. So then Abraham built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham also built another altar where God provided a sacrifice in place of his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. And then speaking of Isaac, Isaac himself built an altar for God after God provides for Isaac and for the Israelites or for the Hebrews during a famine. Genesis chapter 26, verses 23 through 25. From there he went up to Beersheba, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. 
And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now, in addition to these guys, Jacob built two altars to God, and Moses himself also built an altar after Israel defeated the Amalekites. And so over and over again, God is telling his people, build these altars as remembrances of what I have done. And these altars are so important and significant that even in the Mosaic law that would come later in Exodus, God tells Moses to put in the Mosaic law in Exodus chapter 20 this altar that becomes a remembrance of what God has done and that God's presence is among the people becomes again a place for sacrifices as well. But in Exodus chapter 20, it says this, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. So God has always wanted his people to remember what he has done, who he is, and who they are. But here's the biggest piece about all of this. As you begin to study these, what you realize is that this is not based upon our ability to remember God. In fact, in reality, this is based upon God remembering And God remembering us, God remembering his faithfulness, and the the hope that we have is actually based on God remembering. 73 times in Scripture, in fact, the phrase God remembers shows up in the Bible, or some derivative of that. And what this tells us is that all of this is dependent upon the fact, not that we remember, which is good news because our memories are often shot, our memories fade from from our minds, but it's because God remembers And when God remembers, he acts to do something. Matt Woodley says this, when God remembers, it's not just a mental activity, it's redemptive activity. That means when God remembers, he remembers to redeem. He remembers to save us. He remembers for the purpose of providing for us, to give us life, to change us, to bring us closer to him. In other words, when God remembers, he acts. And when he acts, he acts for our good and he acts for his glory. Now, there are a variety of ways that God does this. A variety of things that we could say that God remembers. Again, it happens 73 times in Scripture. But I want to give us this morning three, way, three, three ways that God remembers that I think are important for us and central to the understanding of what it means for God to remember. First of all, that God remembers his promises. You know, Exodus, which is the book that we know as kind of the book of freedom in the Old Testament, starts out with God's understanding and hearing the Israelites in bondage. And then he sets them free. But notice it says in Exodus chapter 2 exactly why God does what he does in this case. Verse 23, During those many many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You know, I think it's really good news that especially this year, we don't have to be worried that God doesn't see us. That God doesn't see the mess of this world and how it has affected us this year in whatever way it has affected you. Whether this year has made you anxious at times, whether it's made you depressed, fearful, confused, angry, maybe it's made you full of doubt at times. God sees, God hears, and God knows. And when we're paralyzed by things like anxiety or uncertainty or maybe even fear, that God is still moving towards us in redemptive activity. 
And notice what it says there at the end of that, at the end of verse 25. It says that at the end of this passage, God saw and God knew. You know that word know is more than just kind of an intellectual knowing. It's more than God just being aware. It actually is this personal relational knowing that God saw and that God moved out of his personal covenant with his people to do something about this. And then what we see is God deliver the slave nation of Israel from the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. Because God saw and God knew. By his personal knowledge, he moves towards his people and delivers them to freedom. God acts on his faithfulness and for his people. And so when we see something like this, this is a very personal promise to those who are his people. He sees you, and he hears you, and he acts for you. So we don't have to be worried that God has forgotten his promises. We don't need to ask if God has forgiven us because we know that he has in Christ. We might know people in our lives who have promised us things over and over again and for whatever reason have let us down. They've broken their promises because maybe they never intended to keep them in the first place. Maybe they intended to, but they couldn't do it. They could, when it came time to fulfill a promise, they were unable to do it. Maybe they changed their mind in the process, but God doesn't act like that. God doesn't turn away, he doesn't forget, and he doesn't go back on his promises. God doesn't get distracted. And one of the things we know about God is that he is eternal, which means that he sees time from the end to the beginning, and his attention and his memory is per perfect. His memory is not bound to the moments of time. We often get into situations where the moments of time and the things we're experiencing overwhelm us so that even they cloud our memories from what really happens. You may have seen this before with eyewitness testimonies. You can get two or three eyewitnesses in a room that saw an exact same th the exact same thing happen in front of them, and they'll come up with somewhat of different stories, especially in the details of it all, because how they saw it, how they experienced it was different based on how one moment of time happened to the next, and it affects their ability to remember. Even a short time after they have seen the event, they'll describe it somewhat differently. Our God is not like that. He sees every moment with clarity, with distinction, and he doesn't get distracted. So God remembers his promises. Secondly, God remembers his mercy. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, of course, we often notice our mistakes and our failures and our missteps, and we often remember those a lot more than we remember our successes and the things that bring us joy. You can remember your regrets. You can probably remember the last time you said something that you shouldn't have. You might even remember something that you did years ago that led to a series of consequences that you're reminded of all the time, that you wish you might be remembered of something that you, a time where you wish you had said something but you didn't or done something and you didn't do it. Those things stick with us. They have a tendency to stick with us. They cause pain and regret in our lives. And the same thing goes for sin. Sometimes all we can see is our sin. Sometimes all we can see is our guilt and our shame. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that as we come to faith in Jesus, God doesn't see our sin and shame. He sees the righteousness of Jesus because through Jesus, he remembers his mercy and his grace. Hebrews eleven twelve says this, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Did you catch that? He doesn't remember your sin because he remembers his mercy through Christ. I read this story recently, speaking of God forgetting our sin. I read a story recently about a priest who was 
in the Philippines. And he was a priest who uh, was very well liked by the church that he was at. He was very well liked by the community, done a lot of work in the community. But he had one thing that he just couldn't let go. It was a sin that he had done way back in seminary several years before. And even though he had confessed it, even though he had repented, he still felt this weight of God, uh, feeling like God hadn't forgiven him. And it dogged him for several years, and he was still holding it several years later. And one day a woman in his church comes up to him and says to him, priest, I need to talk to you about what's going on. I have these visions and these dreams where I talk to Jesus. And the priest was kind of skeptical. And so he said, oh, you do, huh? Okay. And so he decided to test her a little bit. And he said, well, next time you have a dream or vision with Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask Jesus, what is that sin that my priest committed all the way back in seminary? This serious sin. And she said, okay. The priest saw this woman three days later, went up to her and said, hey, did you have another vision of Jesus? Did you talk with Jesus? And she said, yes, I did. And he said, okay, did you ask him about my sin? And she said, yes, I did. And he said, okay, what did he say? And she said, Jesus said, I don't remember. When God forgives, he forgives wholly, he forgets. Matt Chandler says this, the litmus test of whether or not you understand the gospel is what you do when you fail. Do you run from God and try to clean yourself up a little bit before you come back into the throne room, or do you approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that God remembers his grace and mercy? So God remembers his promises, God remembers his grace and mercy, finally God remembers us. Look, identity or what we call identity, how we think about ourselves and understand ourselves to be can be a very complicated thing. We are complicated beings. And our search for identity is something that I think everybody engages on constantly in our lives. And I think if there's one thing that's true about every human being that has ever lived, if we don't have a real source of identity, we'll never fully be at peace until we find that understanding of really who we are. And sometimes identity can be really elusive for some folks. You may get really attached to something in your life and you may realize that it actually determines your identity, who you understand yourself to be to some degree. And that can happen with just about anything. It can happen with your career. That whatever your vocation is can serve as a primary identity of who you believe that you are. Or maybe even how some others may look at you. You know this if you've met somebody for the first time, one of the first three questions always that comes out of their mouth is, what do you do, right? What do you do? Like, oh, that's your name? Okay, now what do you do? Right? And by that, they mean, what is your occupation? What do you do for a job? And you probably ask the same kind of question to people that you're trying to get to know. And in some ways, that often becomes how people first identify you and understand you. So they might say, well, uh, yeah, I remember meeting Joe. Joe, he's the doctor, right? I remember meeting Jane. She's the financial advisor. And that's primarily the way that they get to know you. Sometimes it's in reference to maybe your family. If you're a mom or a dad, that might be primarily how you see yourself right now. Certainly, if you still have kids in your, in your house, certainly that's how your kids see you. If you have small, four small kids like, like we do, it determines your daily schedule often and your weekly schedule, and so that's even more of like a reinforcement of your identity in some ways. Now, as important as those things are, those things are temporary. Because what happens when you retire from your job and your kids move out of the house? Those identities are no longer as strong, right? You may be a retired doctor, but you're still retired. You may be a parent, but your kids are out of the house and you're not necessarily raising them the way that you did when they were in your house. And of course, your daily schedule and your daily routines are not determined by their schedules anymore. 
Your budget's not determined by their needs as much anymore. And so we get to a place often where we have to realize that our identity is something that must, it must rest in something more permanent. That it's great to be with people, it's great to have a job, but in the end our identity doesn't rest in what we do or identity doesn't rest in other folks, other people. Instead, our identity rests in God remembering us. Again, listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter. Notice how he reminds these Christians. Again, these Christians who were experiencing all kinds of suffering, difficulty, persecution because they were following Jesus, who they are. One of the things that he causes them to remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you, may, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look, this is who you are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. People whom God has called out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you had not received grace, but now you have received this mercy, and now you are God's people. The power of identity is powerful. Any, Cubs, any Chicago Cubs fans in here? We got one. There we go. We got one. There's, there's usually one in every room in, in, in Arizona at some point. Somebody's a Cubs fan. So whether you're a Cubs fan or not, I don't even know if you're a baseball fan or not, but you may remember in 2016, the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series in like 108 years of their existence. I think it was the longest drought at that point. Um, as far as World Series championships go. But you, all, you may also remember, if you remember the details of that series, that they didn't win it easily. It actually was a very difficult process for them to go through, including Game 7 was really, really tenuous for them. They were playing the Cleveland Indians at the time, and in the eighth inning, the Cubs had a 6-3 to three lead. There was two outs in the inning, and they brought, the Cubs brought in their closing pitcher, Araldus Chapman. Now, if you don't know what a closing pitcher does, if you're not a baseball fan, the closer is the guy who comes in and blows everybody away when the team is ahead so that they can close the door, win, and in this case, win the World Series. So the closer comes in, Araldus Chapman, is a 6'4 Cuban who throws 105 miles an hour. So he fits the billing of a guy who is intimidating, a guy who is your ideal closer. And that year, he was particularly dominant. And he comes in, and you're thinking to yourself, there's one out left in the eighth inning. He's going to shut the door on this inning, and then there's one more inning left. He's only got three outs, and the Cubs are going to win the World Series. They have a 6-3 to three lead. Well, he comes in, gives up a double, then gives up a two-run home run, and before you know it, it's tied 6-6, six to six, the Indians and the Cubs, at the end of the eighth inning. Both teams go into the ninth inning. Neither one scores a run, and so they're bracing themselves for extra innings in Game 7 of the World Series to see who would win the World Series. And then, a rain, and then a rain delay happens. Rains come down in Cleveland all over the place. I think it was like, I don't know, it was like a half an hour, maybe all up to an hour. I don't remember exactly. But it was a long period of time where there was a rain delay, where they were just waiting for the 10th inning to start. And during that time, Jason Hayward, who was a right fielder for the Chicago Cubs, gathered his teammates together, and he gave this really short, encouraging speech that was centered around, remember who you are. You were the Chicago Cubs who won who won the regular season. You had the best record in the regular season. You've won two playoff series already. You were down three to one in this series. You've won two games to force a game seven. You are no longer the Chicago Cubs, the lovable losers. You are the Chicago Cubs 
who are on the brink of winning a world championship. Probably don't need to tell you what happened after that, but they invigorated the Cubs. They came out after giving up three runs in one inning to give up the, to give up the lead, scored two runs and won 11-7 in 10 innings to win their first world championship in 2016. It's a great story, but as great as that story is, look, what Peter is writing to the Christians here and what we see as we read this is more than just a pep talk between innings of a baseball game. Remember that Peter says, I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. That this is real stirring up. It's not just an emotional speech. This is Peter giving us an existential reality check. This is who you are. This is who you really are in Jesus. This is who he has made you. This is how he has saved you and made you for eternity. It's the most important thing about you, and it's where your identity can rest. All of which brings us back to Advent. You know, one of the remembering exercises that the church has engaged in historically has been Advent. Now, you won't find Advent in the Bible in the sense that we're commanded to observe Advent every year around Christmas. We don't see anything like that in the Bible, but according to tradition in, throughout the church, the church has historically observed Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, which in our calendar happens to be always the Sunday after Thanksgiving, of a time of remembering and preparing ourselves to really celebrate Christmas for what it is. And I think as Christmas has become more secularized, more commercialized in our culture, Advent has become that much more important, actually, to intentionally remind us. And yes, we need those four Sundays to really remind us of the importance of what we celebrate at Christmas. And this is the stirring up, the remembering stirs us up spiritually to really anticipate what this means. And although Advent is a tradition, it's not just a tradition for tradition's sake. It has real meaning behind it. Tradition for tradition's sake looks ridiculous, by the way. I mean, just tradition for tradition's sake has a way of sometimes just looking really silly um, or, or, or ridiculous. I, I, I saw this this past week on, on Netflix. Uh, it's called Cheese Rolling. Have you seen this before? You seen the cheese rolling? So this is something that uh, English people have done for years. It's called Cheese Rolling in a, in a, in a town called Glastonshire. I don't even, I, I totally messed that up. I know I butchered that. But it's a small town in the English countryside, and essentially what this is, is cheese rolling, just like what it sounds. They roll a wheel of cheese down a really steep hill outside the city, and then people engage in a race down the hill to try to chase after this rolling cheese down the hill. Now this hill is really steep. It's a grass steep hill that is really, like you can't even walk without falling on it. So people running on this thing, they tumble, they fall, they break bones, they get concussed. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's fun to watch actually. So it's not really something I can explain very well. This is one of those things that you'd have to see to believe, so I brought you a clip of highlights of cheese rolling. So here it goes. Let's take a look. All right, there you go. I, I can't get enough of that video. I just, uh, some about it. I don't know what it is, but maybe it appeals to a <laughs> nature in me. But there you go. But the point is, is that tradition, if you were to ask these people why they do this, they'll tell you it's tradition. Our ancestors have done this, and we're just keeping the tradition alive. Tradition for tradition's sake is silly and often meaningless. And so when we engage in Advent this year, don't hear that we are just engaging in another church tradition. Hear that this is really intentional. We are doing this so that we can remember. And how important remembering is in Scripture is, a, is revealed to us all throughout. So as we go through Advent this year, we're going to remind ourselves of these huge, important biblical themes, which are the themes of Advent. And in the order over the next four Sundays and then Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at faith, peace, hope, joy, and love. 
And these are, by the way, intentionally in this order because they remind us of the gospel. They remind us how God saves us. Is that it's through faith in Jesus that we have peace because Jesus has made peace through the cross and reconciled us to God. And because of that, we have hope. And we have hope through Jesus' peace because we've been made heirs of the promises of God. We are now children, legitimate children of God who have the heirs and the promises of God, which gives us hope. And those promises of hope become ours in Jesus, which gives us joy, which is contentment in every circumstance. That our happiness or our well-being or our contentment is not dependent on the circumstances in this world, not dependent upon what's swirling around in us. It's dependent upon the hope and the promises of God. And finally, on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about love, which binds this all together. That God, by his love, has saved us and brought us to himself, and that it's our call to love God and to love others in return. And so these are more than just theological reminders. They are meant to stir us up. They're meant to make an impact. If you have felt recently that your faith has been a little bit dormant, this is a time where remembering, we're praying that remembering would, would awaken that in all of us. And you know, the thing about it is as tough as it is sometimes to remember, the things that we often love call back our memory. If we love something in our hearts, we always remember that thing. I read a story recently about a man with Alzheimer's, a man by the name of Michael Joyce, 68-year-old man, lived in New Zealand with his wife, Linda. She was 64. Um, and one day, he woke up, and even though he'd been married to Linda for 38 years, had forgotten that Linda was his wife. But he loved this woman, couldn't really explain why he loved her. He just loved her, and he saw her in his house, and so he proposed to her. And Linda said this about the experience. She said, my adored hubby of 38 years suffers from Alzheimer's. Two nights ago, out of the blue, with tear-filled eyes, he asked me to marry him. Michael had clearly forgotten that we were already married, but I absolutely went along with him and said that I would be delighted to be his wife. In spite of his confused mind, he obviously knows and feels that this is something that he really wants to do. And so she said, I remember thinking that night that he's just going to forget tomorrow morning and this will just be an experience that we went through, right? And so he wakes up the next morning and he says to her, okay, are we going to do this? When are we going to start planning this wedding? And so she realized he was serious, so she began to plan the wedding, and she says, look, to Michael, it will be our wedding ceremony, and to our friends and myself, it will be a truly precious, memorable occasion. But still, she wasn't sure if he would even remember once they got to the wedding day. So in the morning of the wedding day, she was still concerned that Michael might not remember that he proposed, might not remember they were having a wedding, might not remember that the wedding day was that day, but sure enough, he he woke up in the morning, and the first thing he said is, today's the day. And as you can see from the picture there, there's a picture of them getting married. They were married by a lake by their home in New Zealand. And Linda said this, there's been a lot of sadness and a lot of frustration and of course dealing with um, Michael's illness. And despite all the fogginess though, today has been pure joy. And look, in all of this, What you saw is a man who the thing that he loved, he couldn't remember a lot. There was fogginess in his brain, but the thing that he loved, he remembered, and it called out, called out of who he was. And so there may be fogginess and fuzziness going on right now in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives. Just in general, we may be weary. But I think one thing in the midst of what we may even classify as spiritual amnesia is that God comes to us over and over again, pledging his love to us. That although we may forget and although we may get foggy, God never forgets. He always remembers. 
He remembers his promises, he remembers his mercy, and he remembers us. And so as we return to the Lord through this series, I hope it is a time where we can just remember knowing that God has remembered us first. That as foggy as it may get sometimes, that God is always moving towards us with redemptive and intentional activity. He sees and he knows. So I want to invite the band up as we close this morning. I have one more thing for you. Next week, we are going to engage in a response time. We haven't done response times in a while. But I think next week, as we begin really officially into this Advent season, I want to prepare you for the response time because it involves a little bit of homework. Okay? Y'all ready for your homework assignment? Don't get too nervous. It's not going to be that, it's not going to be that difficult. Really, it's just this. I want you to find something in your house this week that is a token of remembrance. It can be something that reminds you of your faith. It can be something that reminds you of your family. It can be something that reminds you of Christmas celebrations, whatever it may be, whether it's an ornament or a decoration or just something that is in your house that is a physical object that you wouldn't mind leaving on this stage for the next month or so because that's where it's going to be. Uh, we've started decorating a little bit. You see our cool white trees. We're going to have our green trees up on the stage after this Sunday. We have a team that's going to help us fill this place with Christmas decorations. One of the things they'll put is green trees on here. And we're going to have you next time, after, uh, next week, after the sermon, bring up your token of remembrance and place it under the tree. And those tokens are going to remain there the entire Advent season until Christmas Eve. You can take them back after Christmas Eve service or sometime after that. But they're going to serve as tokens of remembrance to remind us of the importance of remembering, to, for lack of a better term. And look, 2020 has taken a lot from us. 2020 personally has taken my uh, grandmother from me. She died this year, not of COVID, but because of COVID, we were not able to see her and say goodbye because she was in an assisted living home and we couldn't really get to her. But when it comes to times like these, especially during the holidays, I remember my grandma in particular because she, during Thanksgiving, always cooked the best meals and during Christmas tried to make Christmas as special as she could for all of her grandkids growing up. Last year, if you were here, you may remember the video of me getting a Nintendo and jumping up and down at Christmas. That was my grandmother. She bought me that Nintendo and she was the one who made sure that I had it that Sunday. Well, my grandmother passed this year, and, uh, but one of the things she's left behind is she instituted one of the many things that she did with us at Christmas was she instituted this tradition where we would watch Home Alone, the movie, every time we went to her house for Christmas. And so for me this year, my token of remembrance is going to be the Home Alone DVD. It looks just like that. I have it at home. I've watched it every year since I have, you know, since I've had my family with my kids every single year. We make sure that we watch it as a family, and it's a tradition, and it reminds me of those times. Every time I watch it, it reminds me of those times with my grandmother and how much she loved her family and her grandkids. And uh, in fact, this year, my kids saw it pop up on Disney Plus like in mid-October, and they were like, hey, Home Alone, let's watch it. I was like, kids, it's not Christmas yet. We can't watch it. We have to wait until at least after Thanksgiving. So they're anticipating it, and we may end up watching it next weekend. I don't know for sure, but we're anticipating it, and we're excited. It's come a tradition for us. And so something like that, whatever it may be, whatever that token of remembrance is for you, grab it this week, bring it with you next Sunday morning, and we're going to have a time where we put those things under the tree as a reminder of how important it is to remember. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the understanding of your word so that we would know who you are. Your word is personal. Your word is good. Your word is true. And your word is everlasting. As we approach it, we understand that these are the very words of God to us. And so when you tell us, 
over and over again to remember. Father, we want to take that to heart. And when you tell us over and over again, some 73 plus times that, Lord, you remember, you remind us that that is the most important thing, that our God remembers. And Lord, we thank you that in our frailty, that in our fogginess, that in our slipping memories from our minds as years go by, that our salvation, that our relationship with you, that our identity is not dependent upon our own ability to remember, but it's dependent upon yours to remember us, to call us out of your faithfulness, and to redeem us. And so we thank you for your great everlasting love, Father. We thank you that you do remember. And I pray this upcoming season, this season of Advent, would be a time where we would be able to see, Lord, exactly what it is that you were doing to stir us up. Would you stir us up by gospel remembrance? Stir something alive in us that we felt like may have died a few months ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. And Lord, as we cry out, revive us again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. I want to remind you that as you leave this morning, you can grab one of our prayer cards. If you would fill that out, if you have any prayer requests that you would like us to be praying over, we pray over those every week. You drop them in the offering stand as you leave uh, this morning. Um, and I want to say happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving this coming week, even though it may look different, even though there may be less people around the table this year. We have plenty of reasons to be thankful, and so I hope this is a time for you to gather with whoever you're gathering with and be thankful for who the Lord is, what He has done, and the many ways that He has provided for us in the, in the lives that we have. So have a great week and have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.